All right, everybody. It is Thursday, December 1st. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and some analysis. And we try to read the news so you don't have to. Jill, it's December. It is. And not to say possibly the most cliche thing that people say on December 1st, but I can't believe it's already December, Mo. <laughs> it really feels like the year went quickly. And with that, though, one of my favorite online end-of-year traditions is the Spotify wrapped lists, and they're out. Even if you don't have Spotify, you've probably seen them being shared on Instagram ad nauseum, actually. It's it's actually an incredible marketing move by them. And uh, Deep Tease, we get, apparently, as podcast producers, I just found out, since we got into the podcast game this year, we get our own wrap list on the stats and the cool superlatives, so we'll share that with you. Um, for those of you who listen to us on Spotify. All right, here is what we're working on. The big headlines from Wednesday's DealBook Summit. Moshe, you were there and you've got all the tea. Donald Trump's team has some new rules in place after the former president had dinner with a white supremacist. An experimental drug appears to slow the progression of Alzheimer's, but there are some side effects we'll tell you about. The five-day work week could soon be a thing of the past. We've got the results of a new study that looked at companies that went to four days a week. And as we just mentioned, those end-of-year Spotify lists are out. So who was the most streamed artist of 2022? It might surprise you. All right, Mosh, let's kick things off with your big takeaways from Wednesday's DealBook Summit, which is pretty much a who's who of tech, business, and political leaders Posted by the New York Times and CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin, you posted a few of the headlines on your Instagram feed. Lots of speakers. The big one, Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX founder, and then also the CEOs of Facebook, TikTok, Netflix, and Amazon. There were also economic leaders, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, and Larry Fink of BlackRock. He's the chairman and CEO. They've got a cool $10 trillion of assets that they manage. And then some world leaders, including Ukraine's President Zelensky, Israel's Benjamin Netanyahu, and former U.S. Vice President Mike Pence. But honestly, SBF was the main event, right? Yeah, it, it was wild to be in the room uh, for that particular interview. Uh, it was about a thousand people in the room. Uh, if you're familiar, if you're a New Yorker, if you've been over to Lincoln Center, Jazz Lincoln Center. So they had that room, uh, and you know, you had everyone from investors to CEOs in the room watching this interview that Andrew Ross Sorkin did with SBF. He was a remote from the Bahamas. He was coming live from the Bahamas on a big screen, but you could hear a pin drop in the room as people were anticipating every word. Everyone was actually shocked that he did this interview. In fact, at one point, Sorkin asked him, like, are your lawyers okay with this interview? And they're like, yeah, they told me not to do this, but I feel like I need to speak out. A couple headlines, Jill, that I feel capture basically the big headlines here. The Washington Post headline online right now is Sam Bankman-Fried, former CEO of FTX, says, quote, we messed up big. CNBC's headline is broke and down to one credit card. Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried claims he committed no fraud. The NPR headline, Sam Bankman-Fried strikes apologetic pose as he describes being shocked by FTX's fall. Uh, emphasis uh, uh, by me, not NPR. But it, it <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> But that effectively captures the theme here, uh, you know, and this is the rule book, which is, you know, to show that you didn't commit fraud, you have to be shocked by what took place. I, I had no idea what was happening. Uh, there was a funny moment where SBF says, listen, look, I've had a bad month. And like the entire crowd erupted in laughter. It was like watching like those old TV sitcoms 
Jill with like laugh track where like people were laughing at like various lines he was delivering. But that he was unintentionally funny. Oh, right. He was he was dead serious. He was shaking. He actually looked like he was in a, like a therapist's office. <laughs> he really had like a random fake tree behind him, this kind of generic backdrop. He was like downing Lacroix, uh, the beverage, uh, as he was like waiting for the next question. And the bottom line is he's saying, you know, he's deeply sorry for what happened. He portrayed himself as someone who was in the dark about the activities and the condition of FTX and his hedge fund Alameda. And that was the main focus here. And even uh, Andrew Sorkin got some criticism for saying, why are you giving this guy a platform? He's like, I'm a journalist. And he said yes to an interview. I'm going to ask him some questions. And it'll be interesting to see if any of these answers end up putting him in more legal peril uh, because uh, Sorkin definitely grilled him specifically on Alameda Research. So this was the private hedge fund where he was commingling funds. He was taking money from his FTX company and bringing uh, some of that money into Alameda. Alameda, which was being run by Sam Bankman-Fried's girlfriend. He was profiting from Alameda. But officially, according to Bankman-Fried, he kept you know doing this convoluted thing. And I'll post more clips on Instagram where he's like, well, I wasn't really sure what was happening there. And Sorkin was like, dude, you you ran that company too. You ran that firm. He's like, well, I should have, I should have done more. I'm really sorry about what happened. There was a really powerful moment in the beginning where Sorkin read a letter that he got from somebody who claims they lost their life savings with Bankman Freed. And he's like, what do you say to this person? He's like, well, I'm just really sorry about what happened. Uh, I didn't try to commit fraud. Um, one other thing I'll say, Jill, is that, uh, uh, Sorkin made note of the fact that uh, Bankman Freed, you're like, you're in the Bahamas. Would you come to the U.S.? He's like, yeah, totally. He's like, you're not afraid of criminality? He's like, no, I'd feel safe coming to the U.S. He's like, so you plan to come here anytime soon? He's like, no, not for now. I have plans to stay in the Bahamas for now. So that I thought was notable as well. Just back to what you said about Andrew Ross Sorkin getting some pushback about doing the interview. Why wouldn't he do the interview? It's not like Sam Bankman Freed is peddling hate speech. I mean, right. he... he committed this, I mean, there's billions of dollars missing. This is a very, very legitimate story. He's taking crypto down with him. I mean, it would be crazy for him not to interview Sam Bankman-Fried if he was doing it. He also just did an interview with Axios today today as well. Yeah, Bankman-Fried can't stop talking. He can't stop, won't stop, it appears. But he was saying to Sorkin, you know, listen, my lawyers say I shouldn't talk, but like, what am I going to do? Just go in a corner and ignore everybody? Like, I feel I want to get to the bottom of this myself. You know, he it was kind of like, I mean, rough comparison here, Jill, but like how OJ said after his trial, he was going to find the real murderer of his uh, ex-wife. <laughs> like Sam Bankman said, I'm going to get to the bottom of what happened to FTX. And just to remind folks who haven't been following the iterations here, FTX, huge crypto platform, uh, was worth $33 billion last month, is now effectively worth zero. And the big issue is that Bankman-Fried, this kid, and that's what he comes across as. At one point, Jill uh, Sorkin's like, you guys sound like you're a bunch of college kids high on Adderall, uh, you know, like the antics. And you hear Bankman-Fried, and you're like, oh my God, this guy ran a $33 billion company, commanded respect, was in the room with presidents, uh, and he sounds like a kid. Like, you know, my bad, totally screwed up, like didn't realize that, should have been paying attention. Was and that wrong? I mean, that's that's the Seinfeld reference. Yeah. Had I if I had any idea, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, ex- exactly. And you're like, you know, it, it does go to show that we do elevate these. And there were some comparisons. I got some notes from people on Instagram who were like, this sounds like the the Elizabeth Holmes defense with Theranos. Again, she was a 20-something billionaire, you know wunderkid on the cover of magazines elevated you know we love to elevate these incredible success stories as we should 
but then they don't receive enough scrutiny. And so when you hear Sam Bankman-Fried talk now, you're like, how did anyone ever buy what this kid was saying? Listen, you know? Scott Galloway, and I and I don't mean to quote him on every single podcast. I happen to just be a big fan of we, his. We got to invite him on. We got to invite yes. him on. Yes. Um, he has said that he does that. He said like he's an ageist. He's like, I think that you could be too old to be president. And I think you could be too young to run a company. Mm-hmm. And I think that <laughs> Sam Bankman Freed, quite frankly, what was he, 27 when he started this company? That's too young. Right. We've seen this a lot in tech, uh, Jill. You know, the same argument was used with Mark Zuckerberg, who started Facebook from his dorm room. At some point, they're like, you got to bring an adult in as this company gets larger and larger. That was Sheryl Sandberg. You had the same thing over at Google with a a young Sergey Brin and Larry, uh, who at some point, you know, the board uh, gets involved. They're like, we got to bring in Eric Schmidt. You know, he's a steady hand at Wall Street who can help navigate the company. And it appears that you didn't really have this at FTX. And that has led to the situation that they're in bankruptcy. And literally one of the people who was in charge of unwinding Enron 20 years ago, another huge fraud, is like, actually, the way money was managed at FTX worse than Enron. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, Sam Bankman fried apologetic, uh, really remarkable that he did the interview and is a fascinating watch. And, and I think to his credit, Sorkin really grilled him. But honestly, you need to depose Sam Bankman fried for a week to probably get through all of the questions and get through his convoluted answers. There were a lot of other headlines from the day as well. Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Meta's chief executive, he was there. And he said that he believed Apple's power as a gatekeeper for the app's marketplace is problematic. We spoke a bit about that yesterday, how Apple takes that 30% cut from the apps. And again, I don't think a lot of people think of it that way, but I see what he's saying. Totally. This is the big issue that Elon brought up uh, a couple days ago. Incidentally, uh, speaking of Elon for a second here, Jill, he tweeted out earlier on Wednesday that uh, Apple's Tim Cook invited him over to Apple's campus uh, and they had a good conversation. Uh, but there is this increasing pressure on Apple and, and Zuckerberg is the latest to put pressure on them. This idea that they are a monopoly when it comes to apps, right? The app store in this kind of new digital environment would be like in the real world, every store having to go through uh, one store, like you know, like literally going through one building, if you will. I'll work on the physical metaphor there. But it's an issue and, it, and it's coming up. And uh, so you see these tech CEOs, uh, increasingly the non-Apple CEOs, trying to put pressure on Apple here. Zuckerberg also notably defended the company's push into the metaverse, even though investors have been running for the hills because they think he is spending way too much money on it. Amazon CEO Andy Jassy, he was there. He says one of the headlines from him, Amazon will be allowing the anti-Semitic film that Kyrie Irving tweeted about to remain on sale for now. A lot of people have criticized Amazon and they wondered why Kyrie Irving is getting so much heat when shouldn't Amazon as a platform, shouldn't people be pointing the finger at them as well for even having this on there uh, available to rent or buy. Yeah, it was interesting, Jill. I mean, the argument that he made, Jassy made uh, at the summit yesterday was all about it's a slippery slope to have to manage content and determine what to block, what to provide on the platform. And so he has a a much uh, freer laissez-faire policy. And Jassy made note, by the way, that he's Jewish himself. He's offended by the film but he doesn't feel that Amazon should be blocking it from its platform. 
Jill, there, there, there was so much news at the summit. It was really fascinating. Um, I, I have a lot more on the feed. But one thing before we go here. So the day began with Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary. And they talked about a whole bunch of stuff. China, the state of the economy, interest rates, inflation, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's a fascinating conversation where it got into her personality. And she's the former Reserve uh, Fed chair. Uh, and obviously now she's Treasury Secretary. But there's a lot of interesting biographies on her and, and pieces that have been written. And they always talk about how prepared she is, how she overprepares for every meeting. And it goes back to her as a child, apparently. So Sorkin asked her to confirm the story from her in college that apparently in preparation for a party one time uh, where she knew there was going to be marijuana smoking, she practiced smoking ahead of the party so she could be prepared. He goes, is this true? She goes, absolutely. She goes, I understand that there's stuff happening there. So I wanted to make sure I was ready for the party. <laughs> so apparently she she smoked. She smoked in, in the lead up to the party so she could be ready for that party. And she's like, and I ended up becoming addicted to cigarettes after that. And used to smoke three packs a day. And I finally quit in the late 70s. Um, so that was a fascinating kind of uh, human moment to these leaders who, you know, hear about Jenny Yellen talking about interest rates. You're like, wait, wait, what? She's so prepared. She smoked, she smoked in preparation for a party in college. And it really shows you that who you are, you know, uh, really goes back to, you know, when you're a kid. You know why I love that motion? Because when you look at her, she's so, I feel like she's gotten onto the scene or she's become familiar with us anyway, at an older age. Like I mm -hmm. only know her as sort of, I only gray hair, gray hair older, when she was yeah. the fed chair. Yeah. Um, and so just thinking of her as a, a youngin, it makes me happy. I just, that's hysterical. <laughs> and by the way, a great excuse for any kids out there who are thinking of trying marijuana to just say, listen, I got to be prepared. This is what Janet Yellen told me. Um, I'm just trying to prepare for the well, party. Well, hold on. And everyone remembers in college, there's always the kid who pretended to be drunk or pretended to be high who didn't actually inhale. And you're like, man, I can see through that right away. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears and talk some politics on the Democratic side. As expected, House Democrats on Wednesday elected Representative Hakeem Jeffries of Brooklyn, New York, as their leader. And Brooklyn. that makes it and that makes him the first black lawmaker to lead a party in Congress. He succeeds House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who has led the Democrats for two decades. Jeffries will carry the title of minority leader when Congress returns in January. And that is because Republicans will, of course, control the House after the midterm elections. Mosh, this is a generational change for the Democrats. Jeffries is 52 years old. And the two other lawmakers now in leadership, Catherine Clark from Massachusetts, she is 59 years old. And Pete Aguilar from California is 43, a baby, Mosh. <laughs> yes, yes. In congressional terms, absolutely. Compared to the current team, so the Democrats have been led for nearly two decades by the following team. Nancy Pelosi, age 82. James Clyburn, age 82. Steny Hoyer, age 83. So obviously going into people in their 40s and 50s, very youthful for the Democrats, uh, a, a much needed generational shift. It's something that Congressman Richie Torres uh, discussed uh, when we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago after the midterms. The big thing now to watch, Jill, will be on the House Republican side. They, of course, will be controlling the chamber as of early January when the new term starts, and they'll have to elect a new speaker and leadership team. Right now, Kevin McCarthy, who has led them in the minority, doesn't have the votes right now, enough votes to be elected speaker. There's about a dozen, a little more than a dozen Republican lawmakers who don't like him for a variety of reasons, that he's not fighting liberals enough, according to one. Uh, some are looking for fresh leadership. Some are, frankly, just trying to get concessions out of him because the speaker hands out leadership posts, hands out 
uh, committee assignments. So they're making him work for it right now. And uh, those of you will be covering this uh, as the new year begins. But if you're not familiar with the speaker's election, it goes to the whole House, meaning all the Democrats will vote for Jeffries to be speaker. They're going to have about 200, uh, just over 210 seats. Uh, Republicans will have a very slim majority, which means they need nearly every Republican to vote for McCarthy or, weirdly enough, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat, becomes Speaker of the House. So now, obviously, that is a very uh, wild hypothetical and is very <laughs> unlikely to happen. I, I'm but, processing that. <laughs> but, right. The Republicans have the majority, but they have a Democratic Speaker, right? Like, But that's, <laughs> that, it's literally who gets the most votes. And McCarthy already um, failed in 2015. Paul Ryan was Speaker because McCarthy couldn't get the votes. And obviously, Paul Ryan was a fellow Republican. Uh, so McCarthy's working for it and talking to folks who know the Hill. They think that he's going to make it. But it was, it's a very interesting thing to be watching these next few weeks. Okay, now into presidential politics. You could add another name to the list of potential 2024 presidential candidates. Nikki Haley, UN ambassador under former President Trump and a former South Carolina governor, signaled that she is open to challenging Trump in 2024 after previously saying that she would not. At an event recently, she said, quote, we are taking the holidays to kind of look at what the situation is. If we decide to get into it, we'll put a thousand percent in and we will finish it. Translation, Mosh, I'm running. I'm running. <laughs> um, yes. it, it does feel like one of the unintended consequences of Trump's pre-Thanksgiving dinner with Kanye and the white supremacist is that maybe it is giving some of these other Republicans a little bit of cover to say or at least be open to taking him on. Well, I mean, the first big problem was the midterm election results. Uh, if it had been uh, like if if all of Trump's people had gotten in that he endorsed, that would have been one thing. But it appears, based on seeing some of uh, who people voted for, that you know Republicans are blaming Trump for their failure to really have a red wave this year in earnest. So that was strike one. Strike two: Trump's announcement speech. A lot of Republicans were underwhelmed by it, and then strike three here is this dinner last week. And so you have Ron DeSantis, who is being very cautious. Uh, you know, they're sort of waiting it out. They're letting him do damage. He's the only candidate out there right now. So he's getting the scrutiny. Um, so you have DeSantis, Mike Pence out there, Chris Christie, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, also a former Trump administration official running against him. Uh, Asa Hutchinson, governor of Arkansas, Larry Hogan, governor of Maryland. Uh, we should note DeSantis has a new book out late February called The Courage to be Free. So uh, that could coincide with a major media tour and potentially an announcement. Um, and so you have a bunch of uh, Republicans who now feel comfortable being like, oh, he might have been an 800-pound gorilla, Trump. Maybe he's a 500-pound gorilla, but like one that I feel I can challenge. So that'll be very interesting to watch. And it does come, Jill, as we're getting this new reporting from the AP that Trump's uh, the headline is Trump's dinner disaster sparks new rules for his campaign. Acknowledging the severity of the backlash to that dinner with the Holocaust-denying white nationalist and Kanye West uh, and an effort to prevent a repeat, Trump's campaign is now officially putting together new protocols to ensure that anyone who meets with him is approved and fully vetted before he sits down with them. So the changes will include an expediting system borrowed from the White House in which a senior campaign official will be present with him at all times, basically just someone who's hanging out with Trump, making sure he's not talking to a, a white nationalist or having dinner with somebody. And uh, this is effectively something that is in place for most world leaders, most American presidents, to ensure that you know, mistakes like this don't happen. Trump apparently has been pretty autonomous here at Mar-a-Lago, and it led to last week's fiasco. 
Jill, it effectively sounds like they're giving him a chaperone of sorts at his own resort in Florida uh, to ensure that, uh, you know, they don't have any more of these problems. All right, Jill, we have a lot more news to get to, including our favorite segment, the Speed Read. But first, I want to thank our sponsor this week, Bull & Branch, the betting and cheat brand. They are extending their special deal for Mo News listeners through this weekend. Bull & Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch, took notice last month of that discussion we had over on my Instagram account about top sheets versus duvets, people kicking off the top sheets. And so they were so excited to see our discussion of all things betting and sleeping. And so they're offering all of you 20 25% off plus free shipping for a limited time with the promo code MONEWS. My wife, Alex, and I recently got a full set of sheets, including a duvet cover, top sheet, the whole deal, and they have been a game changer. They get softer with every single wash. And so if you're looking for a gift for yourself or a loved one this holiday season, a reminder, we spend a third of our lives in bed, so sheets are a big deal. So as you do your holiday shopping, think about giving the gift of a better night's sleep to everyone on your shopping list with bowl and brand sheets. The deal, again, is 25% off site-wide, plus free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS. The promo code again is MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. The offer ends this Sunday, December 4th. All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com promo code monews for 15% off exclusions do apply see site for details now onto the speed read from the wall street journal fda plans to allow more gay and bisexual men to donate blood current rules bar blood donations for men who recently had sex with men due to hiv transmission risk those rules go back to the 1980s but under the new guidelines being drafted by the fda Gay and bisexual men in monogamous relationships would be allowed to donate blood without abstaining from sex. Yeah, Jill. So this has been a very controversial policy going back decades, originating in the 1980s, back during the AIDS epidemic. And that's when tests for HIV were not considered sensitive enough to protect the blood supply. So a complete prohibition was put in place in the 80s. And then in 2015, the FDA finally allowed gay and bisexual men to donate if they had not had sexual contact with other men for a year. That period of a year was then reduced to three months during the pandemic when there were severe blood shortages. And so this new plan would require men to fill out a questionnaire about condom use and recent sexual activity, among other risk factors. The idea, still under debate, would be to allow those with no new partners in the last three months to donate. 
GLAAD, uh, the organization that represents the gay and lesbian community, still not happy with this. One spokesperson tells the New York Times, quote, it's not where it should be. Our community and leading medical experts have been saying now for years that these decisions that the FDA is making on blood bans the LGBTQ community are based on stigma and not science. And we're seeing that pattern continue even here. So, Jill, it'll be interesting to see what eventually comes down uh, from this reporting. From NPR, study shows Alzheimer's drug has modest success, slowing declines in memory and thinking. That experimental drug, lecanemab, removes a substance called amyloid from the brain, and it appears to slow down Alzheimer's disease. That drug reduced the rate of cognitive decline by 27% in a study of nearly 1,800 people who are in the early stages of Alzheimer's. People who got infusions of that drug scored about a half a point better on a 0 to 18-point scale of mental functioning. Uh, Experts say that is a slight but statistically significant difference. Uh, The head of Yale's Alzheimer's Disease Research Center says the results are real and robust, but a different doctor from the National Institute on Aging who was not involved in the study, says that the results are a very small effect. About one in five people, though, who got the drug in the study did experience an adverse event, something like swelling or bleeding in the brain. But the apparent success of this drug comes after many years of frustration and failure for companies developing drugs that are designed to clear amyloid from the brain. Yeah, Jill, this is a really big deal. Right now, there's about 6 million people in the U.S. and 30 million globally who have Alzheimer's, but the number is expected to double in the next 20 years as so much of the West ages, including our population here in the U.S. And so anyone who has had a family member or loved one suffer from from Alzheimer's has been waiting for a breakthrough drug here uh, to help them. This all follows months of controversy over at the FDA uh, over their decision last year to approve another Alzheimer's drug that was called Aduhelm. Uh, that was approved despite studies that did not prove the treatment worked and showed it carried significant safety risks. Medicare decided to sharply limit its coverage of Aduhelm, uh, citing the risks and unclear benefits, uh, and eventually it was completely sidelined from the marketplace. As far as this new drug, though, Jill, the FDA is expected to make a decision by January 6th, so sometime in the next month, uh, and they would be giving it the type of approval they gave this previous drug. And so you can imagine they will be applying a lot of scrutiny here for this new drug. Okay, the next headline from People magazine. Kate Middleton and Prince William have landed in Boston, the Prince and Princess of Wales, who are both 40 years old. Although, why does that matter? Why? I, I never I, understand I, why. Why is that a thing in media where we always have to say someone's age? It's so weird. Okay. Anyway. I'm glad we're both on the same page about that. Okay. Needless to say, the Prince and Princess of Wales have arrived in the U.S. for their three-day trip. They're going to be spending time in the Boston area. The visit culminates with William's second annual Earthshot Prize Award ceremony. That's Friday. The couple arrived by commercial flight at Boston Logan Airport. The royal couple last came to the U.S. back in 2014 for a visit to New York City. They also toured Los Angeles in 2011, their first joint trip to America after getting married back in April of that year. It's it's, it's not quite uh, being a royal these days, taking a commercial flight to Boston in December. Ain't, ain't quite what it used to be. <laughs> but uh, But it is notable, Jill, this is their first visit as the Prince and Princess of Wales. They now have those titles with the whole uh, succession, with the queen passing away and uh, William's father, Charles, taking over as king. Uh, I was digging into this Earthshot Prize. This is a climate change prize uh, that was launched in 2020. 
in the hope of what they say is to harness the world's smartest minds to confront some of the most pressing environmental challenges facing humanity. So each year for the next decade, they're going to name five winners, and those winners will receive a million dollars, just over a million dollars a year, to fund creative solutions for the climate crisis. Uh, William apparently says that uh, JFK's moonshot speech in 1962 where he tasked the U.S. with pushing forward with space exploration, is what inspired this project. From CNN Business, the verdict is in. A four-day work week is good for business. After six months, most of the 33 companies and 903 workers who trialed that schedule with no reduction in pay are unlikely ever to go back to a standard working week, according to the organizers of the Global Pilot Program. About 97% of the 495 employees who responded said that they wanted to continue with a four-day week. I mean, <laughs> Who is are the 3%? a surprise? Like, <laughs> Wait, hold on. I really want to know the 3%. Who are the 3% of the employees who are like, no, 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 I need the five days. I love five days. Uh, so the majority of the companies who took part in the trial were based in the United States and Ireland. Those responding to the survey rated their overall experience nine out of 10 based on productivity and performance. Uh, workers reported lower, like none of this is surprising again. Workers reported lower levels of stress, fatigue, insomnia, and burnout, and improvements in physical and mental health. Sign me up. Yeah, so the, apparently the trial was also good for company earnings. Average revenue rose 38% when compared to the same period last year, according to the survey. So this trial was conducted by a group called Four Day Week Global. It's a nonprofit, uh, along with researchers from Boston College, the University College Dublin, and Cambridge University. One company involved called it a win-win, saying, quote, the four-day week has been transformative for our business and our people. Staff are more focused, more engaged, more dedicated, helping us hit our goals better than before. Uh, you know, what's notable here, Jill, is that we take for granted this five-day, 40-hour-a-week uh, work week, and it's really only a modern invention here. Uh, it's only been around for the better part of 70 years, this whole 40-hour 40 uh, hour work week, five days a week. Monday it's Henry Ford, right? Didn't he come yeah, up with that? I, yeah, Henry Ford was was part of it. And then it was sort of, um, uh, it sort of became a thing out of the Great Depression. Uh, and so ultimately, you know, technology has moved along. We have all, you know, Zoom and all these various things that we're able to do now and work remotely you know, all these productivity solutions. So why can't we make a four-day week work? And this is not something that is actually being experimented on by a number of companies. And we actually try to make a good point on this podcast of bringing you all the good news about a four-day work week to try to incentivize you and your bosses to adopt this. <laughs> but you know what? It does make a lot of sense in a lot of ways about the productivity. I think that if people, I think people are burnt out and yeah. feel really, really underappreciated at work. And if you then go from five days to four days and you feel like, hmm, maybe somebody actually does care about me and you have a little bit more time to be with your kids or just have a little bit of time to sleep or whatever it is you want to do, you might be incentivized to just do a better job, work a little bit harder, feel grateful that you're working for that company. I, I understand why it's actually helped the bottom line. Yeah, in an era of quiet quitting, it, it might be a solution. And finally, the story we were all waiting for. From NBC News, one of the internet's favorite end-of-year traditions is back. The music streaming service Spotify released its annual wrapped feature on Wednesday, marking the start of everyone you know posting 
their most streamed artists, songs, and albums of the year on social media. Spotify aggregates data from each user to create both a visual representation of that subscriber's favorite songs and music, as well as a playlist featuring those picks. Spotify revealed that rapper Bad Bunny was the platform's most streamed global artist of 2022. Singer Taylor Swift and rapper Drake came in second and third. Fourth place went to artist The Weeknd, and then the K-pop band BTS claimed the final spot. And so the most streamed song of the year, according to Spotify, was Harry Styles' As It Was. And the song Heat Wave by the Glass Animals, the British indie rock band, was Spotify's top pick for most shared lyrics. Um, Jill, I have to say, so I shared my Spotify account with my brother, so my rap um, <laughs> details are sort of all over the place. And uh, I'm sort of old school as an elder millennial. So I'm still using Apple Music. Actually, my wife, Alex, gets to me. She's like, you're so old. Like, you need to be getting on Spotify. So I hope this time next year I will have an accurate and compelling rap to share with you. So Spotify also ranks the podcast that you listen to. And we feel very honored uh, that so many of you have tagged us in your list that we were in your top podcast listened to. Uh, Jill, I noticed on Instagram, uh, you went through your rap <laughs> list and then you went through your top podcast and we were, our podcast was just number five on your list. I know. It's a little bit weird, actually. As I wrote on Instagram, awkward. So <laughs> <laughs> we should note our podcast launched in June. Well, that was um, the whole thing. You were right? on maternity leave. So now I know what you weren't listening to on maternity leave. <laughs> <laughs> Even so, you know what? I am a loyal podcast listener. So the podcasts that I've been that I listen to, I have been listening to since January every day or, or however often they come out. So there just wasn't enough time for yeah. Mo News to catch up. I, I have high hopes for you in 2023. <laughs> 2023 is going to be our year. <laughs> That's going to be our year. And even if you have to binge it next November, I'm going to make you do it. Um, Jill, what's also cool is that we get a wrapped as podcast producers with details about how our podcast was listened to. And so are you ready for what we learned about our listeners? Drum roll. Yes, that's me that tapping was, on my uh, That was a lame, that was one of the lamer lame. drum rolls that I've was, ever done. But. That was a lame drum roll, but it's some exciting headlines. So um, <laughs> keep in mind, by the way, again, we launched in June and only about 20% of you listen to us on Spotify. Uh, I think about three quarters of you listen to us on Apple and then a few percent listen on some of the other platforms. So this is for the last six months. Uh, we were in the top 1% of podcasts most shared globally. We are in the top 5% of most followed podcasts. So this is why we tell you every day to follow or subscribe to the podcast. 51% of you on Spotify who listen to the show follow the show. So we're incredibly grateful to all of you for that. Uh, we created in these last six months, 3,040 minutes of content. That is more than 94% of other news creators. So that was cool to learn. Uh, Spotify also tells us that we were heard in 59 countries this year. Number one country, USA. Two, Canada followed by the UK, Australia, and then Germany in fifth place. Uh, Spotify calls our podcast listeners, Jill, the enthusiasts. They are super fans because they follow the show, listen to it when it comes out, and they go above and beyond to show us support. Our average score is a five out of five. Thank you very much. And we were in the top 10 for about 4,000 of you, in the top five for about 2,500 of you, and number one for about 600 of you, not Jill, though. We weren't number one for her. <laughs> Again, next year, Mosh, I'm going to work year. on it. Uh, but a, a really heartfelt thank you. And I've said this before, but there are so many options out there for podcasts or and just however you want to spend your time. There's a million right. and one things you could be doing. So the fact that there are so many people who want to spend their 
mornings or days or whenever you listen to us that that want to spend that time with Motion Eye, it is so appreciated. So grateful to all of you. So grateful for all of you for listening to this podcast, whether it's Spotify or any other platform. I do hope that Apple develops some version of this soon. I did get a bunch of notes from people who are like, if Apple did this, you would definitely have been in my top five. And so I trust all you people. Um, but uh, for the 49% of you in Spotify who don't follow or subscribe to the show, please do that now. It'll ensure you don't miss a single episode. You can do that on Apple and all the other platforms. And leave us a review if you can in the App Store. It'll ensure we can continue to grow this podcast and grow the audience. So we're so grateful to all of you who have reviewed us. And for those of you who can take a moment to do that uh, this time of year, we're grateful for you. We hope you're grateful for us. And if you leave a review, we appreciate it. Don't forget to follow me also over on Instagram, over at, at Mosh, at M-O-S-H-E-H. And uh, that's it for me today, Jill. All right, Moshe, I'm going to go binge old Mo News podcasts to get my rating up. Jill, I, I, I hope we make it through all the Taylor Swift you've been listening to. So <laughs> she was number one for you, huh? Yes, I, as I said, never too old to be a Swifty. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>